0: Romans chapter 6, verse 11, that's where we find ourselves today, in a message called New Life. Hi, and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Won't you join us as we understand this new life in Christ, what it looks like, and what it means for you and I today. New Life in Christ, it's an amazing concept, but it is one that's highly practical nonetheless, as we'll see today here on Graceful Truth. Again, we welcome you to the program and would invite you to join us here in Romans chapter six and verse 11. New Life in Christ, how is it brought about? What does it look like? And what are the practical ramifications for you and I as believers in Christ, as we find ourselves in this new life? Well, that's what today's broadcast is all about. Here's Pastor Steve now with more. Join us.
1: So you also must consider, some translations say you must also count, or you must also reckon, that's the word that's used there, ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to share with you just briefly this morning what that word means. It's logizomai in the original language, in the Greek. And it's basically related, logizomai is related to the word logos. We know what logos means, right? Logos means what? The word. It means word. It can also mean deed. It can also mean fact. And it, 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 it had the idea of evaluating an object's worth or reckoning up a project's gain or losses. Some of you who are accountants here, you'll appreciate this. It's a bookkeeping term. That's what it is. I mean, some people enjoy keeping books. Go figure. I don't get it. You know, that's just not, that doesn't float my boat. I don't know. But some people, man, they just love it. They get in there and boy, everything's got to add up perfectly. And we get kind of In our own English language, we get certain words from this Greek word, logizomai. When you stop and you think about it, we preserve the word in such words as log, when you log something, or logistics. You've all seen the UPS commercial, you know, we love logistics. Or logarithm. Okay, those three words represent, really, logizomai. When you think about something that's a log, it refers to a numerical record of a ship or an airplane's progress. I remember when I used to drive a limousine, I used to have to keep log into a book how many hours I was driving. And then you had to take a break. You logged it in. You think of the word logistics. It's, it's really a military term dealing with numbers and movements of troops and supplies. Or you think of the word logarithm, which is an exponent to which the base number is raised to produce a given number. I had to look that one up. I'm just reading it off the page. Some of you mathematicians, you know, you probably just knew that. I didn't know that, so I had to look that one up. But that, it was used in, in commercial settings. But it was also used, this is kind of interesting, that word logismi, to to reckon or to consider, it was also used in the philosophical sense, in the philosophical wor- world. And it was used in the sense of an object or non-emotional reasoning. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You say, what's this got to do with the resurrection? Hang in there. We preserve the meaning of, of that side of the word in our English language by words such as logic or logical. Okay, the common ground in these two uses of the word is that logismi has to do with reality. It has to do with reality. It has to do with things that are factually true. It has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with wishful thinking. Nor is it an activity that makes something come to pass or happen. It's an acknowledgement of or an acting upon something that is already true or has already happened. When you think about keeping your books, keeping your check register. okay, If you're you're balancing your checkbook and you write down in your checkbook, Well, I got $100. You better have $100. Right? If you're reckoning that down, you better, you better be sure you have $100 in there. You can't just write down whatever you want. I think I want $1,000. <laughs> you know, that may be what you want, but that's not the reality of it. See, that's the wrong use of making the log or reckoning your checkbook, balancing your checkbook. Better term would be deceiving yourself or others. <laughs> if you think you have more in your check, checking account than you do. It also helps us understand verse 11 to recognize that logizomai has already been used several times here in the book of Romans. And, and every time it's been used, it always refers to recognizing something that is factual. Not something that's maybe true, not something that we hope is true, something that is factual. As a matter of fact, it appears 14 times before our text here this morning. And it also recurs in Romans 8 and 9. And we'll see that when we get there. But the chief use of this word has been in chapter 4. We already went through this, but I'll just spare you all the details. But it happens 11 times there. It occurs 11 times there. And Paul is employing it to really show us how our sins have been reckoned to Christ and punished there. And how his righteousness has been kind of credited to us. These aren't just imaginary transactions. These aren't just things, well, you know, you just got to have faith. No, these are things that really happened. Jesus really did die for our sin. He really did suffer for our transgressions. And similarly, his righteousness really has been transferred to our account. So that God accounts us righteous in him. We don't have any righteousness of our own. Our righteousness comes from Christ. And that has a bearing when it comes to verse 11 of our text in Romans chapter 6. Even though he kind of, before this chapter, he tells us that we're to do and certain things that we're supposed to do and certain actions we're supposed to take. But he says it all starts with counting as true what God has already stated for us, what he has already done for us. And this is so critical Um, You really have to stop and you have to ask yourself as a believer, do you really understand this? Do you get this? Because you can't really go on unless you understand this base truth in your Christian walk. Let me say it this way. The first step in our growth in holiness is counting as true what is, in fact, true. The key to living the Christian life lies in first knowing that Christ has taken us out of Adam and has joined us to Jesus Christ. That we're no longer a subject to the reign of sin and death. That we have been transferred into the kingdom of God's abounding grace. That's a fundamental truth. You need to understand that. You need to believe that. It's really the secret to a holy life is believing what God says. Understanding who you are in Christ. Now there's certain realities here that Paul wants us to understand. He wants us to understand certain things. He wants us to, to believe as facts, certain things. He wants to reckon, he wants us to consider two things. First of all, the first reality is that we're dead to sin, as believers. We're dead to sin. If we are a Christian, if we have put our faith, our trust in Christ, then we are dead to sin. It does not mean that we're immune to sin. doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're immune to temptation. It doesn't mean that we will not sin. It means that we are dead to the old life. We can't go back to it. That's the first reality that Paul states here. We looked at that last week. That we died to sin. Verses 3 and 4, he restates it. He says we're baptized into his death. We're buried with him through baptism into death. When Christian gets baptized a little later on the service here, we're going to... Lower her down into the water. Baptism always means to be immersed. We'll dunk her in the water. And we'll, we'll, we'll bring her back up, Christian. Don't worry. We'll, we'll bring her back up. Why? Because Christ went into the grave and he was raised on the third day. It's a picture of our life in Christ. Verse 6. Verse 5, he says, we've been united with him in his death. Verse 6, he says, our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7, again, he talks about being that we died with Christ. All those things are factual for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. They describe something that has happened. Just like the sun came up this morning. We're standing up there at the sunrise service. My iPhone said 645 and I'm waiting for the sun to come up. It was wrong. It was a little late. And all of a sudden, everybody's standing there with their cameras. And I said, it should happen any moment here, you know. And it took a good another three minutes. And all of a sudden, you saw a little pop of a thing over, way on the horizon. And then all of a sudden, it just filled the sky. You know, we weren't up there going, I wonder if it's going to come up today. I don't know. Maybe it won't come up. No, we knew it was going to come up. It's the same idea. All these things are factual of those who are in Christ, and so on the basis of that truth, Paul now tells us to count ourselves or consider ourselves as having died to sin in Christ Jesus. Martin Lloyd Jones says it this way: Consider and keep on con- constantly, and consider and keep constantly before you this truth about yourself. In other words, learn to think of yourself as one who has been delivered from the sins realm. And this is a a very pivotal text that we have to understand. Now, I want to share with you a couple things that this does not mean. It does not mean, first of all, that it is my duty as a Christian to die to sin. People teach that. Oh, as as a Christian, you got to die to sin. The text has nothing to do with our duty. It is only concerned with the fact that we have already died to sin. We don't have to die again. Secondly, it is not a command for me to die to sin. That's not what it's stating here. How can God tell me to do something that's already been done for me? That wouldn't make sense. Thirdly, it does not mean that I am to reckon that sin as a force in me dead. You know, kind of positive thinking thing. Well, if I just say it's going to be dead, then it'll be... It's not saying that. You can't just say that and it's not going to be... True, it, uh, your words don't have that kind of power. Because sin is a force in me. Though it's a force whose effective power over me has been broken, it's still a force. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. It doesn't mean, fourthly, that sin in me has been eradicated. You know, you've seen the bumper sticker. Christians are not, what? Perfect just forgiven right we're not perfect christians don't walk on water christians aren't people who never sin or never tempted no christians are saved sinners who struggle with sin all the time if they're honest but it's because of the glorious resurrection of christ that for the first time in our lives we have the power to overcome that sin that's why the bible calls us overcomers Doesn't mean that sin has been eradicated. Fifthly, it does not mean that I am dead to sin as long as I am in the process of gaining mastery over it. That would make the statement refer to something experiential or experimental. It doesn't refer to that. It refers to a past act, it's something that's already happened. We're dead to sin. And then sixthly, it does not mean that reckoning myself dead to sin makes me dead to sin. (laughs) That's really backwards. What Paul is saying is that because we have died to sin, past tense, we are to count on that. That's the first reality that Paul wants us to understand in verse 11. That's what he says. So you must consider, what do you want us to consider, Paul? Yourselves, first of all, dead to sin. The second one is this. The second reality is that we're to consider ourselves alive to God. Just like we're to consider ourselves dead to sin... We're to consider ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, that's the only way to really be alive to God, is in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a lot of stuff going around today out there in the theological world. Well, you know, you can, you can still be a Muslim or you can be a Buddhist or you can be whatever. You know, I'm sure God understands as long as you have faith. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said very boldly, I... I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, the life. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. I'm one of many truths. There's many ways to life. He didn't say that. So if you're going to believe in Jesus, and you're going to believe that he's a good teacher, and you're going to believe that he was a good man, then you have to believe that he's the only way. Because that's what he said. So either he was telling the truth, or he was a liar. And the last time I checked, liars weren't good men. Liars weren't good teachers. So it's kind of basic truth. The only way we can be alive to God is through Christ. And that statement completes the parallel there in verse 5, in which Paul says, if we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly be also be united with him in his resurrection. We need to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, referred to here in this text, is not something that is future. He's not saying that. He's not talking about a future resurrection of believers. He's not talking about the day when our bodies will be risen from the dead if we die before the Lord comes back. No, he's talking about the present reality, the present experiential reality of living in Christ's resurrection life now, today. It tells us that just as we have died to sin, we have to count on that. We have to reckon that. We have to consider that. So we have been made alive in God, to God, in Jesus Christ. And we must count on that also. See, there's a negative side and a positive side. This is the positive side. If you've come today, the negative side was last week. You've come on a great Sunday. You're here for your positive things. Now, you say, well, I haven't heard a lot of positive stuff yet. You talk about sin, you talk about this. But you know what? The fact that Christ rose from the dead is positive news because our sins can be forgiven, that our relationship with God can be restored. So secondly, and this is in your outline, to overcome sin, we have to know that you are totally identified with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. To overcome sin, we have to know and believe. That in the future, and even today, we share in Christ's resurrection, victory over sin. Now here's how this works when you face temptation. Let's just get down where the, the rubber meets the road. Perhaps you're tempted to use drugs or get drunk or escape from the pressures of life somehow, whatever it might be, or you're, you're tempted to go back into sexual immorality in your life, whatever it might be. But you realize that in Christ, you have been crucified to that old corrupt way of life. And you're now identified, you're united with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. His new life, the Bible says, is in you. And someday you will receive a new resurrected body that cannot sin. Why would you want to sin now? Paul asks that rhetorically in verse 21. What benefit, chapter 6, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed For the outcome of of those things is death. See, knowing and believing the truth of your present position of sharing in Christ's death and resurrection really helps you break the power of sin in your life each and every day. It's a very practical application. Secondly there, B, he says, to to overcome sin, know that Christ's resurrection represents his complete and final victory over sin and death. Verse 9 in our text kind of gives us the, the reason for this. Verse 9, he says, we know that Christ, we know. Moo calls that a, a, a causal principle. The thought is this, we believe that we will live with Christ because we know that he is now beyond the reach of death. His resurrection signifies that we will never die again. Death is that he will never die again. Death is no longer mastery over him, it says in verse 9. And he says there at the end, he says death no longer has dominion over him. And then in verse 10, it kind of explains what he just said. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Aren't you glad that when Jesus died on the cross, he died once for all? Aren't you glad that he didn't come out with some salvation plan that said, well, yeah, Jesus kind of covered for your sins up to this point, but, you know, that's, that's his death. But now, if you sin from this point on, you're on your own, and so you've got to go die on a cross. I, I'm glad he didn't do that. I'd already be dead a million times over. So, you know, and we'd all be there with me. I mean, that's it, just not a good way to go. His victory over sin and death was complete. We don't need to work for our salvation. Do you understand that? We don't need to do religious things somehow thinking that that earns us brownie points with God. That's not how the Bible says it works. That's how we want it to work. So maybe, you know, we'll dust that Bible off once in a while and read it. And because we do, we think, oh, now God's going to bless me. It's ridiculous. He deserves our praise, our worship. It's not a bartering thing with God. His resurrection puts all the terrors of sin and death behind him once and forever. It says the life he lives, he now lives to God. It doesn't just imply that his life prior to his resurrection was not lived for God. That's not what he's saying. Morris goes on, he explains it this way. His life is beyond the reach of death and every evil. It is a life lived positively in and for the glory of God. No longer with the negative aspect of putting away sin. So the thought there in verses 9 and 10 is that Christ's death and resurrection completely and finally conquer sin and death. John Piper says it this way in one of his books. He explains the benefits of this. He says, Sin can't enslave a person who is utterly confident and sure and hope-filled in the infinite happiness of life with Christ in the future. Well, let's get to the practical side here. Thirdly, to overcome sin, continually count or continually reckon as true the fact of your being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That's what he's saying. He says it three times there. Verse 3, he says, or do you not know? Verse 6, he says, knowing this. Verse 9, he says, knowing that Christ. See, knowing who we are in Christ, beloved, is foundational to living a spiritual life. I I firmly believe that there's so many Christians that struggle in their spiritual growth because they don't understand who they are in Christ. So we need to continually count ourselves. It says dead to sin and alive to God. And that's all because of the resurrection. That's all because of Christ rising from the dead. If he did not rise from the dead, we wouldn't be here this morning. The, tr- the, the, the truest thing really about you is not what you feel. It's not what you feel, but what God declares to be true. See, we, we live in this touchy-feely world today. And, you know, we we get in this touchy-feely mode and, you know, well, I think, you know, I think so-and-so is upset with me and I feel that, you know, this and, oh, well, I, I feel this and who cares what you feel? You know, I mean, sometimes we have conversations and, well, I don't think, I said, you know what, you know, I'll tell the people, just call them and ask them, are you upset with me? Get it over with. It's real basic. They can either say no or yes. Well, you are okay. Why? Deal with it. Great. Okay. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, let's go. But no, we do this stupid email thing back and forth that you're getting emails back and forth and you're reading between the lines and wondering how they meant this. You know, if if you're upset with somebody, don't send an email. That's the worst possible thing you could do. You know, I'd say meet them face to face, but if you can't do that, call them on the phone or FaceTime them or do something where you can look into their eyes and see what the intentions are. So many times you read an email, you can read all sorts of things in there that's not even there. We just need to really believe that. Victory over sin begins with your mind, how you think, not how you feel. It's not just a mind game. I'm not saying you just go throughout life telling yourself, okay, I'm just not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. No, it's, it's not positive thinking. I'm not talking about that. He isn't saying visualize yourself as this sinless person. No, he's not saying that. And eventually you'll act that way. You know, go to bed and put the Bible under your pillow and hopefully it'll absorb into your... He's not saying that. He's saying this. This is the fact of who God has made you in Christ. You are no longer in Adam, alive to sin, but dead towards God. Rather, you are now in Christ Jesus, dead to sin and alive to God. Think on that truth. you think on that truth, you will act so. So consider it over and over and over as often as you face temptation. Remember, Christ is not in the grave. He rose from the dead.
0: And this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. If you would like to hear the program again or find out more about us, you're welcome to visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. Or give us a call. Six five zero three six six ninety nine twenty three. If you'd like to join us for worship at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, again visit our website for the details gracebibleonline.org or call six five zero three six six ninety nine twenty three. And now, once again, here's Pastor Steve.
1: Thanks, Andy. I have a special announcement for the ladies in our listening audience. We'll be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Saturday, April 9th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. This conference will be beneficial for women who teach Bible studies, Sunday school, or just enjoy studying God's Word. Colleen is a very gifted teacher who will be sharing with our ladies the importance of expository principles in both Bible study and teaching. Breakfast and lunch will be provided, and there's a registration fee of just $25. The registration form can be downloaded from our website, gracebibleonline.org, and mailed in in advance with your payment. Pre-registration is required, and we are encouraging our ladies to register early because seating will be limited. Once again, we'll be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker, Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Saturday, April 9th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Please check out our website for all the details and
0: registration form. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you, so call us today, 650-366-9923 or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless.